Professor Bart D. Ehrman chairs the Department of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's one of the major public experts on early Christianity, Jesus, and the New Testament. His books include Misquoting Jesus, Lost Christianities, Lost Scriptures, and The Truth and Fiction in the Da Vinci Code. Dr. Ehrman currently has in bookstores Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene, the followers of Jesus in history and legend. Bart Ehrman has appeared in numerous radio and television pro programs, including some driveway moment appearances on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. We're delighted to have him join us today on the program. Bart Ehrman, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thanks for having me. It's um, hard to start any discussion uh, of the followers of Jesus without noting that this week the Da Vinci Code does hit movie theaters. Uh, by rights, Mary Magdalene really isn't on par with the likes of St. Paul or St. Peter, but in writing about Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene, you note that she's sort of, in the last generation, become a bit of a media star. Can we start with uh, Mary Magdalene in religious writings and in the media? Right. Well, she's the, uh, she's the big name right now, and uh, in, in no small part because of the Da Vinci Code, where uh, we learned that she was, in fact, Jesus' spouse and lover and uh, had a child with him. Uh, and so what my book does is it, it takes the, uh, the uh, information that people, people have about people like Mary and uh, try, it tries to figure out what's historically accurate and, and what, in fact, is later legend. The, the da Vinci Code makes a lot of allegations. Are any of them sustainable about Mary? Uh, very few of them. <laughs> it makes for a great, uh, great movie, but, uh, or a great book. I haven't, obviously haven't seen the movie yet, but I don't know that most of the information is actually uh, factual. Uh, when you when you study the early sources for Mary Magdalene, there's there's nothing in them uh, about her having an intimate relationship with Jesus. Uh, she hardly ever appears in the New Testament Gospels. People, I think, before the Da Vinci Code, people normally thought of Mary Magdalene as the prostitute uh, who who accompanied Jesus on most of his travels. But in fact, uh, there, the idea, the very idea that she was a prostitute, is a later uh, a later legend. We don't have any instance of this uh, prior to about the sixth century or so. Well, your book, Misquoting Jesus, explains in fascinating detail how what we have today of scriptures is incomplete and altered. You wrote a whole book about it, but can you take a brief moment to explain how little we sometimes know and how it really cannot be the original material? The problem with the, uh, the New Testament is the same problem we have with most books from the ancient world, which is that we don't have the original copies. Uh, what we have are copies made by scribes, uh, m many decades, in most instances many centuries, after the originals. And the problem is all of these copies that we have are different from one another. So the scribes were, were obviously changing their texts. Uh, this creates a big problem for knowing what the originals said, because, uh, w w well, there are places where we, we actually don't know. And, uh, and th this creates uh, some difficulty for people who who believe in the words of the Bible, because there are places where we aren't sure what the words of the Bible were. Uh, this, this affects all of the biblical books, and including, of course, those that, that deal with the three characters of my more recent book, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Well, Mary Magdalene, as one of Jesus' followers, believed that the world was going to end uh, very soon. And far from being a recent phenomenon, the idea that the, that the end is near um, starts in the era in which Jesus was born, and even perhaps a century earlier than that. Can you, can you talk about the milieu of this apocalyptic view? Well, that's right. Jesus, uh, Jesus himself has been studied, of course, for centuries, by, not just by readers of the Bible, but by scholars who can read the ancient sources in their original languages. And the one thing that scholars have become convinced about in, 
in over the last century or so is that Jesus is best understood uh, within his own Jewish context. He was a first century Palestinian Jew. Uh, and for over a century now, most scholars have been convinced that Jesus was an apocalyptic Jew, meaning that he was one of these Jews who understood that he was living at the end of the age, that God was soon to intervene in history to overthrow the forces of evil and bring in, God, bring in his good kingdom here on earth. Uh, Jesus expected this was going to happen soon, probably within his, his disciples' lifetime. And so since you have... Uh, this is the message of Jesus. It appears that uh, Jesus' followers obviously followed him because they accepted his message, so that Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene themselves were probably apocalyptic Jews who also thought that the end of the age was coming very soon, uh, probably within their lifetimes. Paul and Peter would surely come off the lips of anyone who was asked to name who succeeded Jesus and founded what became the world's largest religion, Christianity. Can we start with this interesting fact I didn't really realize until I, I read your book, that the two of these men actually met and were at odds very early on about how to, in essence, market Jesus to the masses. Well, it's a very interesting story that you get actually within the New Testament. Uh, the reason we don't think of Peter and Paul at odds is because in the book of Acts, which tells about uh, Peter and Paul, they seem to be completely uh, simpatico with one another. But uh, when you read Paul's letters, uh, especially his letter to the Galatians, it's clear that he and Peter had a falling out. Uh, the issue was over whether it was important for a follower of Jesus to be Jewish or not. Uh, Peter and uh, others like him thought that it was right for uh, people who converted to Christianity to accept the ways of Judaism. Uh, Jesus, after all, was the Jewish Messiah sent from the Jewish God to the Jewish people in fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, and so obviously anybody to be a follower of Jesus had to be Jewish. Uh, Paul had a different idea. His view was that Jesus brought salvation through his death and resurrection. And this salvation came to all people, whether they were Jew, Jew or Gentile. And so Paul uh, was very firm and adamant that people did not have to become Jewish in order to be uh, followers of Jesus. And uh, in Galatians chapter 2, we find out that Peter and Paul had a falling out on just this issue. Uh, and we don't know whether, in fact, this, this fallout was ever healed. Can you clarify briefly for listeners why a Jewish person might object to calling Jesus Christ? My undergraduate students, of course, think that Christ is Jesus' last name. <laughs> so it's uh, Jesus Christ, born to Joseph and Mary Christ. Uh, but in fact, it's a title. It means Messiah. Uh, and so when somebody says Jesus Christ, they mean Jesus the Messiah. Most Jews, in fact, uh, well, most Jews in the first century when, when Jesus lived, uh, understood that the Messiah was to be a figure of uh, power and grandeur. They had different understandings of exactly what the Messiah would be like, but, but uh, all understandings of the Messiah involved him being a, gr a great figure empowered by God. Uh, the problem was that Christians were saying that Jesus, who was a crucified criminal, was the Messiah. And there were no Jews prior to Christianity who thought that the Messiah would be somebody who suffered, uh, even suffered for the sins of the world. And so the idea of a crucified Messiah was, was a novelty in the ancient world, and so most Jews thought that this was, a, um, this was a completely unacceptable claim, that Jesus, the crucified criminal, could be a Messiah. Well, Paul was somewhat of a spectacular success in converting Gentiles. Peter didn't do so well with Jews. Can, can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, so as it turns out, Gentile, the Gentile field was, uh, uh, was more fruitful for Paul. Um, most Jews uh, had a sense of what the Messiah would be like, and Jesus wasn't like 
like anybody would have expected a, for, for a Messiah. And so most Jews rejected the claim that Jesus was the Messiah. Gentiles, for uh, one reason or another, were attracted to the message of Paul. Uh, Gentiles, of course, were polytheists. They worshipped many gods, and uh, Jews, of course, just worshipped the one God who created this world. Uh, Paul, uh, evidently, was successful in convincing polytheists that there is only one God, and convincing them that Jesus was his son, who got uh, crucified but then was raised from the dead. And so by the, by the time of Paul, uh, maybe 30 years or so after Jesus' life, more people uh, who are becoming Christians were Gentile in origin than, than Jewish. You note in the book that, uh, that Peter was so incredibly vacillating that, that the name Jesus gave him, Peter, meaning rock, literally, was almost an ironic nickname. Can we talk about Peter's uh, epic cowardice, for example, in denying that he knew Jesus after he was arrested? Well, that's what Peter's best known for from the Gospel stories, and it's interesting that throughout the Gospels, Peter is always vacillating. I think this is one of the reasons that people have been so attracted to Peter over the years, is that he's just, he's so human. Uh, he has good intentions, uh, but when the moment comes, he turns coward, or he becomes fickle and unfaithful, and uh, so he's a lot like uh, most of us. The name Peter is actually... Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a proper name in the first century. The name Peter actually comes from the Greek word that means rock. Uh, Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic, and so the, the nickname in Aramaic was Cephas, or Kephos, uh, which means rock. And so it was a nickname. It meant uh, rocky, uh, somebody with a rocky disposition. And I, I suggest in my book that Jesus might have been ironic, because uh, every time... Peter uh, shows up in the Gospels, it seems like he's anything but a rock. Uh, he's more like a shifting sand uh, rather than a solid rock. I was raised a Catholic, Dr. Ehrman, and of course we're taught that, uh, that Peter was the first pope. Can you explain how contrary to Catholic teaching uh, he could scarcely have been the first bishop of Rome? Well, that's the thing. is uh, We know about the Church in Rome first. From uh, the, the first account we have of it is is actually in a letter written by Paul. Uh, Paul's letter to the Romans is in the New Testament, and in this letter he greets a large number of people in the Roman congregation. Strikingly absent from this list of people whom he greets is the name Peter. Uh, it looks like Peter wasn't in Rome when the church was established, and that it clearly must have had leaders, but. Uh, there's no evidence that Peter was the first leader of the church. And so the very idea that Peter was the first bishop there, or the first pope, uh, is based uh, more on later legend than on anything uh, based on historical sources. Well, speaking of Catholic teaching, uh, you note in Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene, uh, you mention how James was headed, headed the Jerusalem church after Jesus, who was literally his brother, was crucified. Many of people are shocked to learn that Jesus really had brothers and sisters. Can you tell a little bit about what we know about James and uh, Jesus' other siblings? Well, especially among Catholic, uh, Catholic readers, this comes as a shock, because uh, it, the doctrine of the Catholic Church, of course, is that Mary remained a perpetual virgin, and so, so she never had children. But in our earliest documents, which are those of the New Testament, we're told that Jesus had brothers, and they're associated with Mary Magdalene, not with Mary Magdalene, but with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with uh, his sisters. And so it's natural to assume these actually were his brothers. The most famous one is uh, is James, who 
evidently was not a believer in Jesus during his life, wasn't one of, one of his followers, but after his death uh, became a, a follower of Jesus. Evidently, he uh, had some kind of vision of Jesus raised from the dead. And so uh, this James, the brother of Jesus, then became the, the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem after Jesus' death. Well, almost, almost uniquely among, uh, among the church fathers, we have a report of the physical appearance of of Paul, um, and I, I gather from your book that his charisma was not owed to his Paul Newman good looks. <laughs> no, yeah, well, in, in a, a later set of legends called the Acts of Paul, we have a description of Paul. He's, he's short, he's bow-legged, he's bald, his eyebrows meet, uh, he's got a large nose, <laughs> and so it's not a very, very attractive uh, description. Uh, and some people have wondered uh, whether this could be a historical description, and it's hard to know, because this description was probably written some hundred years after Paul had actually died, and so the author probably actually didn't know what Paul looked like. But the point of his, his account of Paul's uh, rather uh, unpleasant looks were, was that uh, Paul's message wasn't uh, winsome because of his, uh, because of his uh, good looks or personality, but because the power of God was behind them. I've heard it argued that after Paul, perhaps the most influential Christian in history was the Emperor Constantine, who converted and basically took the empire with him. Uh, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I, I think a lot could be said for for the relative importance of Constantine, because prior to Constantine's day, Christianity was a very small minority in the Roman Empire. But once Constantine converted to Christianity, there were massive conversions, so that uh, by the end of the 4th century, which is so... Constantine was at the beginning of the 4th century, but by the end of the 4th century, once uh, it had become a popular thing to be a Christian, probably half of the empire was Christian, and uh, one of the emperors, Theodosius, made it then the official empire religion. So uh, the conversion of Constantine is extremely important, and one could argue that it's the second most important uh, conversion in Christianity after that of the Apostle Paul. I would like to know, too, that Michael Hart's book, The 100 Most Influential Persons in History, he ranked up uh, St. Paul number 6 and Jesus number 3, arguing that it's the two men who share responsibility for founding the Christian faith. Uh, one can argue about the, about the numbers, but was not Paul significantly more important than really Peter or anyone else after Jesus? Yeah, you can make the argument that Paul, uh, next to Jesus, was the most important figure in early Christianity because it's Paul's preaching of Christ crucified and raised from the dead that ends up converting people, that leads to the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, and I think without this preaching, without this sense that Gentiles can also belong to the people of God, that Christianity would have simply uh, remained a Jewish sect, and there never would have been a separate Christian religion. And so Paul, I think, is of utmost importance for understanding the development of Christianity, and you could make the case that without Paul, what we think of as Christianity never would have come into being. Well, Dr. Ehrman, you plan to take in the Da Vinci Code uh, as it, uh, this week? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I, as you know, I wrote a book on the Da Vinci Code, uh, fact, uh, tr truth and fiction in the Da Vinci Code, and uh, so I'm going to be very interested to see how it plays out on the big screen. In our final question, any errors in the, in the Da Vinci Code that you, you, you're aware from the book that you'd like to take a final moment to clarify? Well, there's so many of them, it's hard to know where to begin. I mean, the thing is that Dan Brown gets a lot of the big picture right. I mean, there, are a lot, there were lots of other Gospels that aren't in the New Testament. They portray Jesus differently. Uh, women had a large role to play in early Christianity. Uh, the, these are all right in the big picture. The problem is that in virtually all of the details that, that Dan Brown gives, he, he gives incorrect uh, information. And so, uh, you know, 
students uh, shouldn't turn to the Da Vinci Code if they want to learn about the New Testament or the history of early Christianity. They ought to actually uh, refer to the works of historians. Professor Bart D. Ehrman's book is Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene, The Followers of Jesus in History and Legend. For more information on uh, Bart Ehrman's lectures, you can call 1-800-TEACH-12. And we'd recommend that you download his interviews with Terry Gross uh, on Fresh Air, uh, both on this volume and his prior work, Misquoting Jesus. Bart Ehrman, we thank you very much for speaking with us today. Okay, my pleasure. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much turkey. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week with one of our regular broadcasts.